So during the pandemic, I bought an Xbox. What I told myself about buying an Xbox is that my boys play Xbox and you can talk to them online when they're in other places and play games. And what I quickly found out is that I am not on that, their caliber. So when I played their games with them online, I was apparently something called a boomer and their friends didn't want to play with me, so that didn't work. So what I ended up doing is I started finding some games that I like to play. And so I found this one game that's a survival game. And it's a game where they've created this incredible whole world, and you go through it, and you try to find stuff, and you try to build stuff, and you're trying to avoid zombies, just so you know, that's some of you saying, this is our pastor. Okay, so um, anyway, uh, and, 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 and you meet people, and sometimes you meet people, and they shoot you and try to take your stuff. Other times people try to help you, other people run from you. But I met this one guy on, online, Pedro, my dear friend from Waco, um, who we play online, uh, and we started creating a base. And our base, it got really good. And we had clothing and guns and weapons and all kinds of tools to survive. And we were thriving. Then all of a sudden, down in the corner of the TV, started seeing this message that on this date, all the servers are going to be wiped. I said, what does that mean? It can't mean what I think it means. And so basically, we went online and we found out what it means is that they were going to do a thing where they're going to restart the game, where all everybody's progress was going to be started over, and they're going to update it, and everybody's going to start from the beginning. And I cannot tell you how upset I was about losing my base. Pedro and I had worked hard on this base, and we had stuff, and we were in great shape, and it wasn't a struggle anymore. And, and I remember I was driving my car thinking about just, oh, so upset about it, and I realized, you know, none of that is real, Paul. <laughs> none of it exists. You can't eat the food. You can't wear the, the clothes. You, you don't get the tools. It, it's not real. And I started laughing at myself. And of course, it brought me back to this question of, of how then should I live now? Because here's the reality is that if you're living to build a bigger base and get more stuff and fill it up for whatever reason, maybe it'll fill your days. Maybe it will fill you with a, an image of how you want to see yourself. Maybe it'll make you feel secure or powerful. It's just a matter of time till all the servers get wiped. And that at the end of the day, the things that the world says important aren't important. Now, on the other hand, you know, it could be just like the video we just saw. There are other people who say, well, because none of it matters, I'm just going to bury what I have in a hole. I'm going to just kind of act like this life doesn't matter. And, and I don't think that that's the way we're supposed to live either. The, 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 the difference is in a biblical concept that I want to share with you today. This will be a reminder for many of us. This might be a radically new perspective for a lot of us. But, but this, this key, this teaching, this truth is at the core of what it means to be a Christian, uh, at the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If you don't get this, you don't get what it means to be a disciple, to be a follower. This, this may be the central issue related to discipleship. If it's not the central issue, it certainly is one of the pillars. It's one of the keys, and the key is very simply this. You are not an owner, but a trusted steward. Okay, let me just say that again. You are not an owner, but a trusted steward. So, so let me explain the difference to this. An owner is a person who owns everything. That at the end of the day, it is for them. It is about them. They are in control. And what they want to do, how they want to do it, is all about them because they own it. Ownership's a big deal in our country, right? Got my property. I got my house. I got whatever. And this idea of ownership sounds awfully good because we think if we can own enough, we can protect ourselves or we can become important or we can become significant. And so when we live like an owner, we, 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 we can at first feel really comforted. The problem is, is what the other things you own is you own things like 
the problems. And you're the place where the buck stops. And so if you've ever been in charge of something, you realize, oh, this is a problem coming. I can see it coming. No one's handling it. Oh, it's here. Okay, oh, I'm the end of the line. The owner is the end of the line. Now, here's the difference. A steward is a person who recognizes that actually everything belongs to God. Everything is about God. It is for God. And that is the way it's supposed to be. And to actually live as an owner is a curse. It is an absolute curse. Because when you are a steward, you recognize that God comes to you and says, you know what, I'm going to give you 24 hours every day. Okay, and, and no matter how busy you think you are, everybody gets 24 hours a day. What are you going to do with that? Well, you ask the owner. God has given me this physical body, and in this physical body, I can do all kinds of things with this body. What should I do with my body? Well, the owner determines that. God has given me talents. He's given me resources. He's given me money. What am I supposed to do with that? Well, the question is, what does the owner want me to do? Because the understanding for a Christian is, is that I've been entrusted with something, and I can bury it in a hole, or I can do something with it, but whatever I do with it, I want to do it for the honor and the glory of the owner. What does the owner want? And so, so, as followers of Christ, when we get this perspective, it, it at first is a little unsettling because we feel like we're losing control. And the truth is, we're losing what we never had because we never really had control. But the glorious thing about it is, is that you are no longer the person where the buck stops with. So the problems that come, oh, this is huge, this is huge, and all of a sudden, okay, all right, God, this is you. Because God becomes the end of the line. Now, when you understand this principle, it changes everything. It changes the way you use your body. It changes the way you use your time. It changes the way you think about it. Not even your opinions are what you own. It all comes back to, God, what do you think? What's your perspective? What's your the right perspective? Now, this is a very different way than a lot of people, even in churches, present Christianity. A lot of us would really have, rather have Jesus as a life coach. So we'd say, okay, Jesus, I got my life, I'm doing my things, I'm living my way. I'd like you to speak into it. I'd like you to coach me. I'd love your advice. Okay, I'd like you to consult on it, but here's my agenda. Okay, Jesus won't do that. Jesus defines himself in this respect to us in one way. He says, I'm Lord. I'm boss. I'm commander. I'm owner. And, and he would never condescend, and he would never become just someone who speaks into our life, a little Jesus on the side. He wouldn't do that for one reason. One, because it's dishonoring to him. But even more than that, perhaps, is this understanding is that that is a, that, that would hurt us. That would be a curse to us. Because here's the deal. At the, at the, at the heart of all this is that this is an issue of worship. What is the thing that gets your first and best in your life? When it's yourself and your agenda— Okay, that ultimately becomes something called idolatry. It means you're worshiping something else. And anything you worship other than God is a false God. And any God but the true God is a cruel God. It'll end up taking from you. It'll end up, you know, wasting your life. It'll take away meaning, relationships. It'll hurt you. But the true God does not come to take your life, but he comes to give you life, and he shows you what it means to be entrusted with the life you've given so that when he returns, we have an opportunity to, to return to him that which he gave us. Now, this 
principle is found throughout the Bible, but it starts in this ancient principle called first fruits. This first fruits, and it's this whole understanding of giving God our first and our best. Now watch, it goes all the way back from the very beginning of the time where God called together his people. He says this, he says consecrate. That's a really important word that fundamentally is a word which means to make holy or to worship. He says, I want you to take something and I want you to consecrate. I want you to take it away from everything else. I want you to set it aside. I want you to make it holy. The word holy means to make special and separate it, to make it something that belongs just in a special category. And he says, I want you to make that something that you would offer to God, something you would just give to God. And he wants us to consecrate our life, to start by thinking, okay, God, you are the center of my life. You are the one who determines what I want to live my life. And I want to give you the first and best. So he says, consecrate to me all the firstborn. And so this concept of that which is first, that which is priority, that's where we start. This is could not be clearer throughout the entire scripture. He says, consecrate to me the firstborn. Whatever is first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both men and beast is mine. And so the whole understanding is that you take in a harvest of grain, you take the first fruits and you offer it to God. You have all kinds of sheep and goats. You take the first and you offer it to God. You, you take your time and you offer it for God. This is the entire concept of Sabbath, the entire concept of starting with rest. See, we tend to think of Sunday at the end of the week. That's the, the, the worship day, the day of rest. In Jewish understanding, in biblical understanding, the, 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 the first day of the week was the day of rest. You started with rest. It's the whole understanding that says, you know what, God, because you are the owner, because you are in charge, I can rest in you. And so I begin by giving you my time. Coming to church is an expression of first fruits. It's I'm going to take time because time is precious. It's actually the most precious material thing you have is your time. I'm going to give you some of my time as an act of worship because you deserve it. And, and some people say, well, you're just wasting it. It's not a waste at all. It's returning to God what belongs to him. And when I do that well, it sets the pace for the entire week to come so that everything becomes holy. And so everything becomes an issue that I give my first and my best to God. This is why I do devotions in the morning. I'm a morning person, so I'm in the best in the morning. And so I've learned over the years that I can say to myself, oh, you understand, God, I got important things to do today. So I got to jump in the car. I got to get there. I got to drink some coffee. I got to get to these priorities. I'm going to give my first and my best to something else. But what I've learned is the power of spending some time initially saying, God, I'm going to give you my first and my best. I'm going to get my head straight. I'm going to get my heart straight. I'm going to get focused on you. I'm going to spend some time in your word. I'm going to pray through the day. I'm going to slow down. And it's amazing to me. It actually has the ability to transform the rest of the day when I do it well. And so this concept of giving God our first and our best goes all the way back to this ancient practice of, of worship. Look what it says. He goes on. You shall set apart to the Lord all that is first to open the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. And so the understanding, again, is the first um, animals that were born is meant to be a picture of giving God that which is first, that which is preeminent. Well, look how this plays out. 
The best, and then he talks about the offerings. He says the best, look at this, of the first fruit. So you give not only the God the first, but you give him the best of the first fruits of your ground. You shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. And so the understanding is, is that you start by saying, God, you know what? Before I do any of the math, before I figure out what I want or what I need, I'm going to come back and I'm going to give to you the best of my time, of my attention, of my resources, of my wealth. I'm going to make it first about you as an act of worship, as an act of surrender, to teach my heart once again that I am not an owner, that I am a steward, that I am, I am a servant to the king, and that everything we sing about in the songs we just sang about actually becomes real in how I actually live. Now look how this plays out later on. He goes on later in Exodus. And, and this is where, let me first say this, where he explains what the heart of it is. He says, and when in time you come to your sons and, and your son asks you, what does this mean? I mean, what are we doing here, Dad? I mean, we're wasting the best stuff. We're wasting the stuff at the top, and, and we're just sending it up to the temple. And, and in those days, they burned it, for goodness sakes. What does this mean? You shall say to him, by the strong hand of the Lord, the owner came. He said, and brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. That son, there was a time when we were owned by someone else. And God sent this deliverer, this deliverer Moses, got us out of Egypt, brought us through the, the Red Sea, which is a picture of salvation and deliverance. And now we are free people. And so we regularly routine ourselves, regularly routinely remind ourselves that we bring him the first and the best because he is the one who brought us salvation. This is all an act of worship. What first fruits will do, listen, this is so important. What first fruits will do when it's adopted, not on a legalistic external way, but in a deep heart way, is it'll make every part of your life an act of worship. It'll make everything you do a response to God and a returning to God. It will change the way. And, and it's incredibly clarifying because we currently live in a culture that says, okay, how should I live? I don't know. What do I want? What are my feelings? What's my truth? How, how should I figure it out? What are other people doing? What will I think? You know what? The, the question becomes a lot easier when it's, okay, what does God say? What does God want? What is his way? When I move it away from the subjective to the objective to this relationship I have with God, it's amazing how many things get clear. We're going to talk in a couple weeks. We're going to do a series in two weeks called Everybody, where we're going to be talking about how we use our bodies and, and that we have been entrusted with these bodies. How do we make peace with our bodies the way they are? How do we live in a righteous way with our bodies? What does work have to do with that? What does is, what is how we treat other people's bodies have to do with that? Because it's a major thing. I've been entrusted with this. What then am I going to do with it? And when you adopt the world standard, you, you just become full of confusion, and anybody confused about any of this stuff? Okay, just full of confusion. But when you come back to God's standard, it gets super, super simple, super clear, and, 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 and it leads to freedom. Living as an owner enslaves you. Okay? Living as a steward sets you free. We're so confused about freedom. We think if I was an owner, I would be free. I, I could retire. I'd have all my time. I'd be free to do whatever I want. I'd have enough money. I'd be free from anybody being able to hurt me. I, I would become significant. I'd be free from this fear that I don't matter. But what we find is living as an owner actually enslaves us. It impresses us. Living as a steward frees us 
but not frees us from responsibilities, but freedom to have the power to live up to our responsibilities. It's a freedom to live a life of meaning, which we can only have when God is in charge, when we understand this. Now look again how this, let me show you now how this works in the New Testament. Look what Jesus said. But seek first, seek first, seek as a priority, seek as the most important thing, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God in our hearts, in our life, in our world. What would it look like if God were ruling my life today? That's my perspective. That's my attitude. That's my heart. That's what I'm looking for. That's the path from freedom. And so before I start diving in and doing the best I know to do, I'm going to come back and I'm going to say, God, how do you want me to live? Who do you want me to be? And, and I'm going to seek that first, the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. That is to say, his right way of doing things. His right way of teach, treating people. His right way of, 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 of being a person who lives a life that is significant. His righteousness. And then all these other things, and, and the other things are what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to wear, what I'm going to dress, all those kind of things. He says, those will be added to you. He says, those will come to you. But when you make those the priority, you get messed up. But when you make the kingdom of God priority, it's amazing following God's principles. Man, life just starts coming together. This is what it means to be a steward, to be a person who has been entrusted. We give God our first and our best. Look what Colossians says. This is such an incredibly powerful verse about what we as Christians believe about Jesus, Okay. He is before all things. Is that true in your life? Is he the priority? Is he above, you know, your agenda, what you want, what you think is important? Is he above all things? And in him, all things hold together. Do you believe he can hold you together? Or do you believe you need to take the reins and I got to do some things or it's all going to fall apart? It's all kind of on me. But this understanding that he has the ability to hold me together, that when I take time for him and make him my first and my best, he holds all things together. And he is the head of the body, which is the church. That is to say, he's in charge. He's the Lord. He's the one who determines how we should live, what we should do, what position, what stands we should take. It's Jesus is Lord of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So it starts with him. And he is the one who brought salvation in the resurrection. That's what we celebrated last, last Sunday, this Easter. So that, look at this. So that in everything, in everything, in everything, he might have, he might be preeminent. He might be first, above all things, the center. You know, the original Christians were called Christians in a city called Antioch. And they did not give themselves that name. The pagans who watched them called them Christians. Because basically it was kind of like this. You'd hang around them and they'd say, I notice you're not going up to the temples anymore, to the temple prostitutes. What's with that? I'm a follower of Christ now. Ooh. I notice you're helping those poor, you know, people, those dirty people down in the slums. You and those others are going down the way. Well, you know, Christ has taught us, you know. I know you, you weren't talking to this other person, but it looks like you forgave them. How could you possibly forgive them for that horrible thing they did? Well, Christ died for me, forgive. And they finally said, Christ, Christ, Christ. All you people talk about is Christ. You're just like little Christ. You're like Christians. And they said, Yeah. Because he has preeminence. He's first. He's the priority. He's the center. And that's what it means to live as a steward. That my life is not my own. I have been bought with a price. 
And everything I do, I do unto Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. And, and this is not a sad, loneful thing. This is a joyful thing. I'm no longer under the curse of slavery. I'm no longer under the curse of idolatry. I'm no longer under the curse of ownership. I have been entrusted, and I'm going to live up to my trust, and I'm going to, I'm going to have a whole sermon on next week, my responsibilities and all those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, it all comes back that when things get overwhelming, I'm not the end of the line. I can say, okay, Jesus, you're the end of the line. What are we going to do with this? It changes prayer. It changes how you treat people. When you look at the people who have been put in your life as trusts, as people you are entrusted with, when you look at your job as a trust, it changes you going in from bad attitude, this doesn't matter, doesn't mean, and all of us just say, no, 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 God put me here. And I'm not doing this for a paycheck. I'm not doing this because the boss told me to. I'm not doing this for any other reason, first and foremost, but because Jesus put me here. And I'm going to look for a human dimension. I'm going to look for how I can make things better. I'm going to look for a way that I can do this joyfully and thankfully. I'm going to consider the people I work with and what my life is saying to them about what I believe in God. And maybe the reason I'm here is because I've been put in a strategic position that's going to work for the common good, create jobs, be a wonderful place to make things better. But maybe I'm in here just because I'm the Christian here and God wants to be, me to be salt and light in this place. But whatever it is, it's not about what I want. It's about what he wants. It's going to change the way I'm going to do this because he gets preeminence. He doesn't stop. And whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we do it in his name? That's basically saying, I'm here in Jesus' name. I'm here because Jesus sent me. I'm here because Jesus has appointed me here and put me here. I'm doing it in Jesus' name, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thank you, Jesus, that you included me. Thank you, you've given me this opportunity. Thank you that you've even given me these struggles because there's an opportunity even in the struggle because, because I've been entrusted with this. Even looking at how you suffer. Uh, this is a kind of a different way to look at it, but this is the way the ancients looked at it, both in the Bible and the early church fathers. When they had a problem or a sickness or a difficulty, when they were given an incredibly difficult leadership challenge, their thing wasn't like, oh great, now I gotta deal with this. Their thing was, God, thank you that you've entrusted with me this incredible problem, this opportunity. Give me the wisdom to lead it in such a way that a good conclusion comes and it blesses others and every one of us prosper in this. It radically changes the way you live your life. That when you understand this concept of, of first fruits. And so this is first fruits. Bringing our first fruits is an act of worship that offers God's my first and my best in all things. And how I, I live with my body in terms of my thoughts, my mind, in terms of how I spend my time, in terms of how, how I treat people, in terms of how I do my job. It makes everything an act of worship. This is what it means to be a steward. This is why I say it's a pillar of discipleship. Because if you're trying to live as an owner and saying you're a follower of Christ, you are conflicted. You are a person who has two masters. And Jesus said a person can't serve two masters because they will love one and hate the other. And so it all comes back to this recentering on the preeminence of Christ. When life becomes an act of worship, some amazing things happen. First, your tithes and offerings become worship. So we here at Jacob's Well, we teach tithing. We teach the idea of first fruits, that you come and you bring the first 10% and you offer it back to God. And you say, this is an act of worship. I don't try to control it. Don't try to manipulate it. I'm not doing this because I'm generous. I'm doing this because I'm obedient. I'm doing this because I really believe this is the way I'm supposed to honor you. I could not actually ever conceive of me feeling like I'm giving you anything, God. 
I'm just returning to you. I'm honoring you. And it's an act of worship. That's why we do it in worship services. A lot of churches, you know, uh, their thing is, oh, you shouldn't talk about money. People are all upset about money. It makes people uncomfortable. I don't know if you noticed it or not, but I'm getting really good at giving sermons that make people feel uncomfortable. I, I just, I'm kind of leaning into that. I'm kind of enjoying it right now. No, not actually. Not. But, but, the, but the thing about it is, is, is that we put it in worship because giving has always been an act of worship. It's always been part of public worship from the earliest times in the Bible all the way through because it was this understanding that if God doesn't have your finances, he doesn't have you. If he doesn't, isn't Lord over that part, if when you got baptized, you had the, the, your wallet in your hand and everything went under but the wallet, then, 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 then you're, not, you're, you're, you're living under a curse and, 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 and you're, you're just not a sincere follower of Christ. And so we call people to it. That's why we've been putting at the end of the service these little stories connecting what we're doing in ministry to the giving to show how your first fruits are being used in the most wonderful way. And so, so tithing becomes this wonderful, wonderful act of worship. Then volunteering becomes a service and opportunity. And so we're saying, I'm going to give some of my time, my precious time, and I'm going to do something. I'm going to help mow lawns around here. I'm going to help work with youth. I'm going to help with children. I'm going to work with one of our share partners. I'm going to volunteer in the community, and I'm going to do it just to make things better. I'm going to do it because someone needs to, and, and, and this is just a way of honoring God. And I'm, I'm not even necessarily doing it because of the need as much as I'm doing it because I want to honor God. And I tell you what, if you haven't found a joy in serving, man, you're just missing out at truly one of the greatest joys of life when you do it for and to God. Your job becomes a vocation. So, so your job is not a place where you just get paid, something you just trudge through until you get to retire someday. That's a miserable way to live. A job is based on the understanding that this is where God has put me. That tomorrow when you go to work, that's where God will have put you. Okay, if God's put me here, what can I do to honor God here? Well, I can work hard. I can keep a good attitude. I can understand the meaning behind my God, job, that these things we're making, these people we're serving are serving the greater community. What I'm doing is creating jobs. That's helping families. This is all good stuff. There's meaning behind it. It can help me be understanding that he's got me here in a vocation to love the people who I'm with. So maybe this person I'm working with who's annoyed me in the cubicle next to me is actually going through a very difficult time. Maybe their parent's sick, and now I have an opportunity to share the love of Christ with them because God put me here. It sees our job as a vocation, as a calling, as an opportunity, not as a drudgery that we got to get through that gives ourselves a justification to have a bad attitude, that this job is for me, it's about me. Well, then that's just a miserable way to live. But when a job becomes a vocation, when it becomes about the people behind what we do, it makes it holy, it makes it a beautiful thing. Your family becomes a legacy. Instead of having this understanding that I want to have kids to get married someday. One of the biggest myths in the world is, why do you want to get married? Well, I want to be happy. It doesn't necessarily happen that way. Okay? I, I, I got married. I had a deep sense of calling that I was supposed to marry my wife. And, and we talked first. Neither of us, well, I don't think kids think, you're smelly, squirmy, expensive. You know, I'm not sure we want to do those kids. And, and so, 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 but I had this calling to marry. I just knew I was supposed to marry her. Prayed about it. God spoke to me. And I remember distinctly, I was at a pastor's retreat, hearing another pastor talking about his kids and raising his kids. And there was this holy moment where God said, you are called to have kids. You are called to be a father. And, and, and I'm just studying about it and thinking about it. You know what our kids are? Our kids are not little trophies for us to display. They're not people to take care of us when we're old. They're not, you know, things that, that, that we want to make us look a certain way, you know. Our kids are a legacy unto God when we're gone. 
That is to say, God will be represented by the fact that I was here by these people that I put in the world to do good things. And now they're doing good things. And when I'm gone, the, the Bible describes it like an arrow. An arrow is something you shoot in a place you can't go. And, and when you understand your family is a trust, a relationship, not that they are designed to make you happy, to give to you, to make you fulfilled, but rather something you do to honor God. It totally changes the way you parent. Totally changes the way you parent. Sets you free from a lot of things, too. That I don't have time to get into. Another sermon, another day. Your life becomes meaningful. That's the last thing. That is to say, it's no longer about stuff. Now, you may create a lot of stuff. You may get a lot of stuff. I actually find that people who live as stewards tend to get more stuff than people who live as owners. People who, I mean, because you can't outgive God. I mean, you just can't. And, and he blesses us in ways that are so much more significant. Relationship, friendship, meaning. When you care about, as a, as a business owner, the employees who work for you, and, and you say, I want to make a good environment, an environment where I pay them well, and provide benefits, and all those kinds of things, and, and I recognize i got 20 families who work for me, that's 20 families. That's an incredible gift to the community. You need to pray for people who lead businesses because, man, they, they, they create jobs. They do good things. And, and if they do it as an owner in the flesh, it gets dark. But if they do it as stewards, man, our communities just become better, safer, healthier place. And if you see the meaning in what you do, if you see the meaning in your children, man, becoming like Christ so they can represent Christ when you're gone, it changes the way you watch your kids suffer. You need to recognize your kids need to go through struggle and you quit protecting them from struggle. You, you, you support them through struggle. You point them to God, but you give them the dignity of their own struggle. So much meaning is found when we understand this core biblical principle. This is just a couple things the Bible says when we make God first and best. And this is particularly connected to giving and wealth. But boy, the application goes to every aspect of what we're talking about, whether it be time, service, whatever. Honor the Lord with your wealth. It would be the wealth of your money or the wealth of your time, whatever it is. And the first fruits of all that you produce, your whole life. Then the barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now this is a proverb, so this is not like investment tithing where you give God 10% and he gives you 40%, anything like that. Okay, the, the, the busting forth of wine and prosperity may be in fulfillment, may be in relationships, may be in a life well lived. But this is the point. You can't outgive God. When you honor God with how you live, what you give, what you do, how you do relationships, you will never regret that. You will not regret that. It, it, it produces a return that will blow you away. Look what Malachi says. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Bring the, the very first of the first and best in all things that there may be food in the house and thereby put to the test. Say, says the Lord, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. He says, you really want fulfillment? You really want need, need, needs met? You want meaning? Then, then honor me. Make me the first and the best in your giving, in your time, and how you look at life. This is so much more than the practices of just giving. I mean, there are people who tithe who live as owners. There are people who volunteer at church who still, they live as owners. This is a heart issue. When the heart issue, man, it just overflows in the most wonderful way. So let me give you a couple next steps. The first next step I just want to call you to, and we're going to do communion here in just a minute. Um, I left my communion element. I'm going to need another one, Sarah, here in just a minute. Um, is to recenter yourself, to come back to this understanding that God is first and he's best, okay? The second thing I just want to let you know about is something coming up. Now, we're doing this um, for all kinds of families, but I really want to speak today specifically to some of you young families. 
You've been entrusted with families, maybe you've been entrusted with kids, you've got a job, but, but you haven't talked about things like wills and trusts and life insurance and all those kinds of things like that. And thank you, Sarah. And, and, and everybody say hi to Sarah. Sarah's great. She invests in this place. She's one of our best volunteers. We just love Sarah. Yeah, she's living it out. All right, so, so here's the deal. Um, um, if you need a communion, she's going to pass that out too. You need to come to this, okay? Now, you may say, oh, I did that a long time ago. Well, if you're older, there's other things that you would want to come and find out about. One of the things we're getting ready to do is launch Jacob's Well Foundation, which is going to allow us to have a legacy beyond even the time that we are here. And this is just going to be from just an incredible professional. We are not selling anything. In fact, we're not allowing anybody to sell anything or signing up for anything like this. But this is giving you the understanding of the kinds of things you should have. Listen, if you have kids and you haven't done this, please, 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 please come to this. Okay? This is part of the other side of, of a steward, that I've been entrusted with these things, and I've got to be responsible with them. This is a step that you want to take. Okay, um, other next steps you could take. Um, volunteer. Now, one of the things that's been awesome is last Sunday was Easter. We had more people for Easter than we've ever had, even before the pandemic. Just an amazing thing. All kinds of folks are coming back, and you're all quick to come back. We're glad you're back. We need you to start volunteering again <laughs> because just to make the place work, youth and children and Monlons and all those kinds of things like that. And if you haven't discovered the joy of being part of one of the communities of servants around here, you're really missing one of the best parts of Jacob's Well. So I wanted to let you know about that. Now, what I want to do now is I just want to take a minute. So if you've got your community element, let's just take a minute and just uh, take that out. And what communion is, is it is, it is meant to be a recentering based on remembering Christ. So I want you to just imagine with me um, a time, a generation into the children of God in Exodus when that command has been given to bring your first and best as an offering. And I want you to imagine a young son coming to his father and he says, Dad, you know, I'm getting older and um, um, I'm going to be, as the firstborn, the person who's responsible for our group and our tribe and managing all this. And I got to say, I'm concerned about something Dad, we're just wasting a lot. And Father says, well, tell me about that. What do you mean? He says, I know you're really into the, the, the God thing and the temple thing and all that, but here's the deal. Every time we take one of our firstborn calves, think about all of those animals that could come from that. And, and you're taking the best grain, the first grain. If we just invested that and built that up, then someday we could build a lot of money and, and we, could, we could do more. And, and, and what if we just did this? What if we just you know, made sure everything was covered, make sure the investments were good, make sure we had plenty to make sure we were secure. And, and then at the end, we can look and we say, okay, look, we've got this grain left and, and we've got these animals. These animals, a couple of them are blind, a couple of them are lame. You know, we'll, we'll just give that and there'll be plenty and it'll be all good. And, and then the coaster will grow and then maybe someday we can do a big thing. But, but right now, you know, it just doesn't make any sense because just, you know, we could have so much more. And I can imagine the father getting kind of quiet and just saying, I hear what you're saying, and I think, you know, fundamentally you make a good point that if we did what you would say, we would have materially more. We might feel more secure. We might feel like we got it more together. But here's the thing I want to remind you of, particularly since you're going to lead all this someday. He said, there was a time when your father was a slave in Egypt where another person owned us. And every day we lived under torment and we lived under trial. And God sent a deliverer and he brought us out, out of Egypt. And now we are a free people. And, and he did it by his strong hand. And if he was strong enough to, to send him a, a deliverer and, and to bring us and deliver us from that, 
I believe he's going to be strong enough to protect us and provide us. We need to remind ourselves that everything comes from God. And, and so as an act of worship, as an act of our expressing our dependence on him, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. And, 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 and as you think about it, that's exactly the message we need to be sharing with our own hearts and with the generations to come. That, 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 that we are called to honor God before anything else by giving his first and best because he gave his first and best. So, so what was God's first and best? It was that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his first and his best, so that whoever believed in him as a sacrifice, as an offering, so whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And, and there was a time where every one of us was without God and without hope, without Christ. And we were slaves. We were owned by something else. We were owned by sin. And Christ came and he delivered us and he set us free and he called us into his kingdom. And, and he's and now entrusted us. He's entrusted with so many things. He's entrusted with our time and our talents and our relationships. He's, he's caused us to live this, called us to live this life really well, really passionately. And, and, and now it's time for us to honor him by giving us, giving to him his, our first and our best in all things. And so as we consider that, let us consider the message of Christ in the communion wafers. And so as we take out the bread, I would just say that here at Jacob's Well, um, we believe that this is a symbolic remembrance of the coming of Christ. We do this to remember Christ, to honor Christ, to remind our heart who he is as our Lord and as our Savior. And so if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and, and even if you don't come here regularly or you're visiting, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we invite you to come and have communion with us um, th th this day. Um, we're reminded that on the night before Jesus died, he took this bread and he said to his disciples, he said, I've eagerly desired to share this with you. He said, this is my body, my body. Think about that, that Christ became a physical body. And, and what did he use his body for? He said, this is my body that will be broken for you. And break the element. He says, he says, when you take this, recenter yourself, remember, recommit, do this in remembrance of me. He says, after the supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is about my life and what I'm going to do with my life. He said, this is the cup of the new and everlasting covenant of blood. And when the blood is poured out, life is poured out. He said, it's going to be poured out for you and for, for, for many, that they might have a new relationship with God and with each other and with themselves, that they might experience peace. He said, when you drink this cup, remember that, that this is my first and my best that I might receive from you your first and best. He says, when you do this, remember me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are God's first and best. You are the one who was offered up as an offering. You gave your body, your mind, your soul. You made yourself a servant that we might be free. You said to your father that you would rather not drink from this cup that was entrusted to you. But you then said, not my will, but your will be done. Let us be like that in all things and how we use our time and our talents and how we think about our job and our family, how we use our money, how we use our resources, how we think about our opinions and where we get them and where we cherish them. 
Are they our opinions that we feel like we have the right to? Are they based on you and your teaching and your life and your example? Bring us to another level of surrender and submission that we might live this life well. Whatever we're trusted with, whether it seems like a lot or a little, we would do it all unto you in a way that honors you and glorifies you. Father God, we love you. And we thank you for this example. Set us free. Set us free to live as trusted stewards who manage that which has been entrusted to us well for your glory and for people's good. In Jesus' name, amen.